Welcome to Release the Shackles at Green Records. Today's episode, we've got Scriven of Grassroots Wealth. Find him on Instagram. This guy's a really good buddy of mine. I met him at, um, at my gym, Sport Hall. Just another one of those guys, dude. He's like the entrepreneur, but he's the W-2 entrepreneur. So he's like side hustle times 10, right? And he's really good at prioritizing, really good at like outlining his day. Uh, we talked a lot about financial freedom, obviously. Freedom seems to be the recurring theme here. I love the guy's advice. I call on this guy at least once a day for something, man. He's just a great, great human being. What'd you, what do you guys take away from this episode? Um, my favorite thing about uh, sitting down with Scriven was uh, hearing how his brain works when it comes to productivity um, and just like how much he can do and, and how willing he is to to go out there and try different things um, and just like figure them out. Like he really had no experience in like flipping properties, but he just went ahead and he figured out how to do it. And like you said, as a side hustle, just started doing it. And now he's, he's living a pretty good life, I think. Um, also a, a big piece that kind of stuck out to me was uh, whenever he was talking about flipping uh, small pieces of land. And that's something that uh, me as a younger guy with, without a huge amount of capital, um, it, I see an opportunity there. And I think that might be something for some of us young guys to look at. Yeah, I remember also having Scriven on here and it was just talk, leading us through the uh, long-term goals and owning your own time. Uh, I look at I look at Scriven and it's like, as far as for me, it's like, dude, this guy is here. I want to get there. He doesn't care. He's going to do it because he will do the research for it. And just for us to have someone around like that, he's just hungry, super, super hungry. Every time that we see him, he's always talking financials and if I know if I ever need uh, any advice, he's going to be there. Enjoy the episode. say how's everybody's weekend but i feel like we need to talk about last week <laughs> so much has happened god bless so much has happened how was your weekend mine all the days are running together right now because we have a two-week-old so and i'm off work um so the weekend was good was it during the weekend that i hung out with you was that saturday or sunday that we got a beer yes okay jesus what so yeah, day weekend was, that? was, was good? that that was yesterday no. no, it was two days ago. Saturday. Okay, I was about Saturday. to say shit, dude. Um, <laughs> so yeah, the weekend was good. We had the the in laws in, and um, I got I'm on my last week of parental leave, so that's cool. Kind of ready to go back to work though, because yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna parlay that into a negotiation for a little bit more sleep with the wife. But um, it's been good, man. I did a hot yoga today, and I was telling Juan like. There was two or three times that I almost had to get up and bail out because it was so hard. But there was like two 60-year-old dudes in there just crushing it. So I was like, no, I got yeah. to stay. <laughs> Why do you think that, Jason? Why do I think what? How is there this young guy going hard, 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 hard? And then here you look over and these older people are just like doing it. Dude, What's I the th difference? I think, I think uh, a lot of us at our age, we've done a really good job of like letting go of some of that like – be in the front, be in the front, be in the front, which is good. 
to a certain extent. But when you see somebody like that, these guys, like they're in it for the long haul and they've yeah. probably been in it for the oh, long Oh yeah, haul. they walked in and she was like, hey, what's up? So she knew him by name and those dudes were like in shape and uh, I'm in I'm in decent shape, but it's just, it's kind of like, it, Dude, there's I've different seen, kinds of shape. You're not in decent shape. <laughs> you're in pretty good shape. But there's different kinds of good shape, right? Like, you know, you get somebody that lifts weights all the time and you know, they can't keep up with the 50 year old guy that swims laps in the pool when you go to the pool. Right. So these guys, they were in their element at yoga and I hadn't been to a hot yoga class in almost a year. And so me, like this, like stereotypical, what I do is I get in there and I'm all in the first 10, 15 minutes. So I'm like breathing real hard. I'm getting all, I'm stretching as hard as I freaking can. And it's exactly like when I was in junior high, I used to run the mile and I was that kid that I was a hundred yards in front of everybody for like the first lap. And then I'd get like eighth. <laughs> I just I just got all gassed out like in this yoga class and then back half I was like okay dude I need to just like do what I need to do instead of trying to like you know be yeah. all badass so I think that's what it is it's so funny those things are good though because it like humbles you uh, I love like going into a new like little area of fitness and diving into something else because for that reason yeah. you know like you see other people are, who are accustomed to that and then uh, you like look at yourself and you're like, oh crap, like it, it's humbling. Like you, you realize it puts, puts things into perspective. I think. Oh yeah. And I went in like, I, I, I signed up for that class this morning because I was like, man, I just need like a good chill workout day. Yeah. And I signed up for what's called power flow. And I didn't, I mean, dude, it was like upbeat music. The lady was like screaming and stuff. And I was like, oh, okay. This is how it does to me. <laughs> and uh, dude, I left, I, I thought about it. I was like, dude, this is way more gassed than I usually am after CrossFit just because of you're in that 104 degree room and it's like hundred whatever percent humidity. And so even when you're resting, you're miserable. Yeah. Whereas mm -hmm. at least in CrossFit, you can kind of, get some cool air and stand up. Step and, outside for a moment. <laughs> yeah, and like there, she was like, if you guys get really hot, don't step outside because then you'll really pass out. She's like, just lay down. <laughs> but I never had to do that. So awesome. Once, <laughs> once you're in, you're in. Dead pose. Yeah, it's, Dude, exactly me, and, right. me and Jazz had this pretty cool training session this morning. You said something about the guy that like lifts a lot of weight, but then he can't keep up with the old man in the pool. Yeah. It's kind of what we were talking about this morning um, or something that had been crossing my head. It's just, um, we were saying... Uh, Man, this is a whole nother topic for a whole nother podcast, but uh, people that are like severely and look, I'm for the record, like I'm not bagging, knocking, judging any of that. Um, truth is truth. Um, people that are like severely like obese are like on one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum, the spectrum that I just created, by the way, is like the super muscle man. Both of them, for whatever reason, like mentally, have decided to like pile on layers and layers and layers of tissue as if they're trying to bury something, right? Mm -hmm. Because neither of those two categories of people, like they're probably good at one thing and it costs them severely like in other areas of their life. Mm -hmm. The muscle man's not keeping up with a, a swimmer in the pool. Right. Well, it could be vice versa. Right. Like, don't I don't know. When you said that, it just triggered this thing. This whole podcast about freedom. Mm -hmm. Release the shackles. Right. That's what we call this thing. Um, when I start tying myself down into one thing, then that's like shackling myself up. And then I'm not good over here or whatever. Mm -hmm. And the people have been talking about this forever. This whole idea of generalism. Be good at all of it. Right. I think to a certain extent, um, the specialist matters. I damn sure want a heart surgeon to have his shit together if he's operating right. on my heart, right. right? But for 99% of us, man, like, 
dude, I love this attitude of like, let's get out there and just try it all. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. Balance. Yeah. So tell us, what's your name? Tell oh, us who you are. Okay. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's, like, yeah, let's, let's do that. But first, but first, Green Records, thank you. Thank you, Drew. Always, thank you, yeah, Will. Thank you. Yep. You guys, so cool. Yeah, you guys got an awesome facility. I've said it before. I'll say it again. If you're a recording artist, you need a place to record. This is your spot, New Braunfels, Texas. Um, uh, and before we get into introductions, we got to say one more thing. I promise. And then I'll shut up. <laughs> Dude, me and Juan went to the Southern Sustainable Agricultural Conference last this last week up in Little Rock, Arkansas. We learned a lot. We met a lot of cool-ass people. We networked with some amazing folks. Um, uh, we will get to that at some point in our little podcast journey. But most importantly, I just got done eating or finished eating at Naturally Cafe, which is no way. Yeah, dude. Oh. I, ordered, I ordered three things because I thought my wife would want to share. And she uh, wasn't hungry. She was napping, and I fucking ate every bit of it. I ate three <laughs> things from there, like an hour ago dude how good is that place i got a quiche um a sandwich and uh that uh zoshi or so, whatever sal- yeah that yeah. salad that dude, place is so good it's so amazing it like best salads in new Braunfels, texas bar none and the best quiche i've ever had anywhere in my life see i haven't had their quiche dude, it's, it's like bar too. yeah man i haven't had juice there yet yeah. yeah that place is good dude dude i told the gentleman that owns the place it's him and his wife he's a police officer i can't remember if he said he's retired or not but he's a police officer in san antonio and so um, every time we go in there and we see him, man, we strike up conversation, just a super cool cat. This, uh, of course, I tell him about the agricultural conference and start telling him about this um, uh, farm that we're going to be doing. <laughs> I'm like, I'm breaking the news. Keep it, keep it, keep it going, preach, right? Preach. Uh, w- w- the, f- the farm in Marion, um, the community garden in New Braunfels that we're talking, we're, I mean, we're moving on that already. That's, well, both of them are moving on. But anyways, I'm telling him about some of these projects that we're getting involved with and his eyes start getting a little bigger and he's like, man, give me the details on that. So, you know, the conversation kept going and I was like, absolutely. He starts telling me about his backyard garden, this, that, and the other. Um, wants to come out and not only help, well, the help and learn thing, right? So come out, help us. We'll teach him a little bit. And, uh, of course I, you know, we always talk about speak these things. Like if you want something to manifest, let's talk about it first, like speak it into existence. Um, I told him, I was like, you know, we're ways out from this, but how about the day that we're up running full speed ahead and someone like you needs vegetables from a place like I got or Juan's got. Cause or, we know it's coming. Cause we know it's coming. We, I already know that. And he was 100% about that. He sources his stuff very well. I know the farmer, I don't know them personally, but I know of the farm in Austin that he sources from, but you know, he made the comment. He said, we would always rather source more local. You know what I mean? So closer to home. So that felt good. I was pumped about that. I just felt like you guys should know that. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So tell us, tell us why, uh, Food, in general, good food costs a little more. Because mm. every time I go to Naturally, the cost is a little more. Mm. But they're getting their vegetables. Mm. They're getting their, their, their uh, juices or their um, fruits from places that, that are doing this stuff organically, mm-hmm. naturally. Yeah, so um, what I've come to... Tie that into money. For sure, yeah. Which Absolutely. is... Absolutely. You're a money guy. 
what, trying to be. What, uh, what I've learned by listening to these other farmers up at this conference, what I've learned by listening to farmers that I know, um, uh, people at the farmer's market here in New Braunfels, what I'm learning is, is that, um, and this is going to sound bad for a lot of people because people are already complaining about having to pay higher prices to eat healthier foods. I think Gary Vaynerchuk hit the nail on the head the other day when he made a comment, and I'm going to butcher this, but it was something to the effect of people are really good at having opinions. People are horrible at looking at data and understanding data. And it comes to my attention recently that the United States of America, our food is some of the cheapest in the world. Like the, 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 the price point for food in America is incredibly low, okay? And I think a lot of people don't understand that. I think there's something to be said about buying something really, really cheap for so long and it becomes the norm. And then whenever it's like, wait, 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 the data doesn't support that. Like you can't have this high quality food at, at that low price point, like there's money that went into that. So there's money that's got to be made back to, you know what I mean? It's got to tie, tie itself back together. And I think that's what pe people are comparing it. You know, they're comparing these organic foods to what they've been paying at McDonald's or Burger King or wherever. And it's not a fair comparison. It's like, you got to stop, just stop eating cheap foods. And I didn't say inexpensive foods. I said, stop eating cheap foods. There's a difference there. And so... Unfortunately, for the people that have that twisted perspective, it is what it is. If you want higher quality foods, then you're going to have to pay a little more for it. And then so at this agricultural conference, we met this this African-American dude named Michael Carter, an amazing human being, owns a farm in Virginia. Yes. Okay. Uh, it was cool hearing him say this because... He's very familiar with inner cities. He lived in Ghana for five or six years, okay? Um, the guy has seen the, the hard side of life that many of us have not seen, right? Um, <clears throat> when I brought this whole thing up about food and prices and this and that, he looked at me and said, no, sir, no, sir. People's priorities are wrong. The money is there, he said, because I personally know people they could be eating better nutrition, but they're too busy going down to ABC Liquor every weekend, buying $25, $30 bottles of Hennessy, cigarettes at six, seven, eight dollars a pack. Right? So it's a priority thing. Right. That's kind of where my mind started going whenever, um, and not only that, not only priorities, but I think cheaper food is just they're cutting more corners. That's mm -hmm. why it's able to be cheaper. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So you're paying for the value, which um, it's more valuable and it's more valuable to you because you understand like the energy source. Mm -hmm. You understand food. You're seeing food as an energy source and not as just something to pig out on, you mm -hmm. know? Like, the nutrition. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not, it's not a source of pleasure. It's, it, it becomes your fuel. You know? Right, right. And so the point is, there's a cost. There's a cost, and there should be. 
Like I'm seeing that more and more. Of course, we'd all love to save the world and grow all the food in the world and it'd be free and I could just hand you all the food in the world that you could possibly consume. But that's just not how it works. Like it's going to cost me money in seeds. It's going to cost me money in uh, mater organic material if I'm not making my own, which I should be. But even that comes at a cost, right? Um, the, uh, water. Uh, if my farm is big enough, I have to pay hands to come and help me maintain this farm. You know, there's a cost for business there. And so I think that's a great segue into what Scriven is doing here today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and before that, like on the food thing, and this ties into kind of just how I operate as well, but um, I think at a restaurant, you're going out and you can't, you can't judge prices at a restaurant no matter what. If you want to go eat at a healthy, at a really healthy restaurant, like look at Austin, by example. I mean, they're all expensive and it is what it is and you're going to get good quality. Um, but I would argue that food is really cheap if you cook. Um, especially like the more you learn to, to cook, um, especially if you're just, if you're keeping it simple, right? Like, you know, I, I agree. I look at food as fuel, but, um, you know, you can have, dude, a, a huge bag of wild rice is like $3, right? And you can get, and, and if we just ate a little bit less, like of the meat and stuff that, that you would get at a restaurant, that's, that's what I kind of had a hard time as I got into like my early thirties versus my mid twenties when I used to eat like I'd make myself eat an entire chicken breast because I thought it would make me more shredded, you know? <laughs> you get to where you really only need like a third of that thing and uh, you have a little bit of wild rice and you have you have a green. Like that's how I kind of have most of my meals is I want, you know, I want some greens in there. I'm going to pick a carb source or not. So it's typically sweet potatoes or some sort of rice or fruit or whatever and then like a little bit of protein. And if you're if you're cooking, I mean, man, you can live pretty cheap. Like, I, like you know, I, I know what we spend on groceries for a family of three and we cook all of our own meals. So I guess that's, and that, so it's kind of like, you know, the guy you were talking to was saying like people have their priorities mixed up. They spend it on the wrong stuff. And, you know, I go back to like, well, how much are you really trying to do some of this at home to minimize that? Cause it's really not that bad. You know, even if you buy really expensive stuff. Yeah. Dude, to that, my friend Kendra, hometown uh, friend of mine from Rockport, when she and her husband and kids lived up in San Antonio for a period of time, I was training her and she'd come to the gym. Well, she went out and did this. Um, I don't know if she intended on doing the experiments, but she was just tracking a lot of things. She got a family of five, her, her husband, three kids. She went out and bought enough food and created not only meals, but desserts to go with those meals. And dude, I forgot what the number was of meals that she created, but it was obviously a shitload. If you could imagine five people times three a day, mm -hmm. okay? The price per meal when she came to the gym one day and told me, dude, it was less than $5 per meal or yeah. some shit. Right about right. It was incredible. I was like, yeah. fuck, I didn't even know that. And even if it is like six to seven, like in the grand scheme of things compared to eating out, the quality you're going to get and it, it ends up being a lot cheaper because you're not... There's always like tips and taxes and all that stuff factored mm -hmm. in there. Yeah, it's cheap. I mean, you can eat really good for pretty cheap, especially especially if you're willing to eat leftovers. It yeah. drives me nuts when people are like, oh, I don't eat leftovers. I'm like, I'm like, man, I always make it, like I always cook it one way and then it becomes a different meal in the skillet the next day and then it might be like a hash stew on like day four and I have, one of the best investments I've ever made is a, a food saver. So the one of those deals where you like um, the seal a meal, so it's got like the bags and you cut them. Man, you can freeze. You can freeze a soup and eat it like six months later. You can mm. freeze, you know, you can buy a bunch of meat and, uh, you know, cook it or not cook it, freeze it. Dude, my mom would make like fideo one day and the next day she would add like meat, ground beef, 
and the next day she would add like beans. That's exactly what I'll do. Like the meal just keeps evolving. <laughs> and here's, here's, like, here's what I'll do. Like on so on a Saturday or Sunday, right? I'll go to H E B and I'll just I'll just I just wing it. I'm like, man, I, I pretty much always get some sort of chicken thighs. I have a really good like simple marinade I like to use from H E B. And then I'll pick out, um, you know, maybe they have a few different options of uh, marinated like pork and chicken and stuff. Some of them are healthy, some of them not so much. And I'll, I'll pick the ones I like that are healthy. And on on Sunday, I'll use like my Traeger grill or whatever. And um, I'll typically buy, I'll buy like a salmon, a piece of salmon. I won't cook that or a piece of fish. But on Sunday, I'll cook like a bunch of chicken, bunch of pork. I'll fill the whole grill up and I'll leave a little bit of it in the fridge and a big foil pouch or a big Tupperware. And that'll be, you know, and, and I'll cook a bunch of vegetables that day too. I'll cook Brussels sprouts, broccoli, cabbage, and then we'll have a big thing of leafy greens. And so we both work from home a lot, you know, so if I'm not traveling, it's like, okay, well, lunch is, I'm gonna grab two of these chicken thighs. I cooked some of this cabbage. I cooked some rice. I'm going to throw all this crap in the uh, skillet and I'm, and I'm just going to heat it all up in there mm -hmm. and I'm going to eat that. Right. And then, um, you know, then the next day I'll cook that salmon, but I've already got Brussels sprouts and sweet potatoes that I cubed up. Those are ready to go. So mm -hmm. I'll heat those up in the oven or whatever. And then come Wednesday, it's like, well, now I'm going to hit that, the pork and I'm going to do some sauteed spinach with it. And maybe I'll do the rice again, or maybe I'll do sweet potatoes. And, and then like by Thursday, I'm like, okay, well I'm bored of this stuff. I'll freeze it. Maybe I'll stop by and grab us two steaks, you so know, get creative. huh? <laughs> and then, and yeah. then, and then Friday, maybe we'll go out to eat. Right. Mm. And, um, so it's just, and, and I guess I'm lucky that I, I like leftovers and also my parents raised me to cook. So it's like, I was cooking with my dad when I was seven years old. So it's just, it's normal. We both like to cook, but it saves us a ton of money. <laughs> and so that way, when we want to go out, man, we don't feel bad if we want to go to McAdoo's and, you know, spend 75 bucks eating. Cause that's the only time we did it. Mm. So Did that, uh, you think that, that, uh, your dad raising you like that had something to do with, um, uh, his decision to cook at home i wonder how much of that decision was based on financials uh yeah i, I think that it was because he he grew up poor on a farm man mm -hmm. on, on a ranch and farm and so i mean they, they it was a big deal for them to even go in to go to the store and there weren't like that many restaurants there i gotta stop you on that yeah uh he actually grew up rich we gotta stop stop by using that terminology dude <laughs> i was gonna i was gonna bring this up so they grew up with not very much money but my grandma always she always reflects back on when they lived out at the ranch. And um, she she basically always makes comments on how they would always yeah. say, like, man, um, she, she, she says, we, grew, we were really poor when we were out there, but, man, we had so much fun. Like, you would have never known. Like, it was great. Mm. You know, she was like, now looking back, like, yeah, we didn't have much. Um, and it doesn't really affect my dad too much either. I mean, it, it affects him. Like, I guess if we want to transition into finance from here, like, my, my dad had to pay for his own. He always jokes that he went to college on a roofing scholarship. Um, because he, uh, he roofed houses to pay for his college. And so, so his brothers, you know, like they had a successful farm and ranch. He's one of five and his brothers got like military school paid for his older sister. Like they, they all, they weren't like spoiled, but they had everything they needed. And then basically, um, in the seventies, the price to lift water from the ground out in that area changed and it literally bankrupted the whole like County. Like everybody was farming out there. This was in Balmeray, Texas, out off the I-10 corridor, kind of like, like Fort Stockton, Alpine. And so it went from normal operating farm and ranch to just like bankrupt. And so when it came time for my dad to go to school, I mean, it was, you know, the other ones got University of Texas paid for and all that. And my dad was like nine years younger than them. And so he went and I mean, he was all on his own. And um, he, he was somebody who was running sections of the ranch by himself at 14. Like during the summer, he would 
live in a, a certain area of the ranch, like sleeping basically in a barn and he'd be in charge of that section. And, um, so stuff that like by today's standards would be like borderline, like cruelty to children. Right. But, um, you know, he has no regrets on it. And so, um, you know, I guess just, he, he had to work for everything he's, uh, everything he ever got. Um, so he just, he instilled a lot in me just on how to look at money. Um, and his approach to be honest is different than what I've developed to now. He's more of a Dave Ramsey guy. Like I remember he got me, I don't know if it was total money makeover or one of Dave Ramsey's books that was like dumbed down for high school kids. And I remember reading it and it was just very basic stuff. It's like, don't, do not use a credit card. You spit, you use cash, you pull out how much cash you need and you save and you drive a used car and very basic stuff. Right. And, um, I guess that makes sense, and um, I agree with that, but I kind of I, I feel like at a certain point, if, if you've got all that down, you graduate beyond that where those rules really don't make sense anymore. Um, so I guess what um, what do you guys want me to go into as far as because I mean, should you had me <laughs> I, was, yeah. I was in it right now. Okay. Yeah, yeah, like I, I think I think it's um, so okay here. so so first of all, my name's Scriven Hafes. I grew up in San Angelo, Texas. Um, I'm 32. Went to uh, Central High School there. Came to Texas State in uh, 2005. Um, we maybe we'll get time to touch on college and stuff. But I was I was lucky enough that my dad said I got you for four years. He said four years in a day. It's on you. You do whatever the fuck you want during those four years. That's how much I'm paying for. So um, I went to Texas State. Everybody in my neck of the woods went to uh, Texas Tech, and that's the only other school I applied to. I did not have the grades to go to A and M, UT, anything like that. I I was just kind of like right in the middle of the road. I was not a great student. Um, but I, I barely got into Texas State, um, got into the business school, got a marketing degree in four years, which is the second easiest degree you can get at any school, probably. Maybe communications is the same or maybe easier. Um, and I did that just because my dad was a finance guy. He said, don't do finance. Um, he's a financial advisor. And he was like, no, you don't want to do this. And I was like, well, I'll do marketing because it's the least math in uh, the business school, right? So... Um, you know, so so I did that. Uh, graduated in '09, and uh, I've worked basically in corporate sales in, in industrial, oil and gas stuff like that ever since. So I started with United Rentals. I was renting construction equipment. I went from the commercial construction sector to oil and gas, and uh, from oil and gas, I jumped to another safety company, and uh, now I'm with uh, 3M. I'm basically an industrial breathing apparatus rep. So uh, I specialize in what firefighters wear. So mm. what firefighters wear to stay safe in fire. Um, I'm the rep for about a third of Texas for that product. So that's just kind of the rundown of me going to school and where I'm at today. So I just heard like experience after experience after experience. <laughs> it's like you're living your life collecting data, Yeah. right? Like, I mean, that's really what it is. And you know, like this again, this whole podcast, Release the Shackles, is about freedom. And if we're going to talk about freedom, especially in today's world, it's kind of hard to talk about that without talking about finances, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, you've heard phrases financial freedom these kind of things right they make things they make life a little bit easier tell us a little bit about like where you're at like side hustle wise all of that kind of stuff like okay. like let's talk about financial freedom like what's okay. it, what's it mean to you okay so financial freedom and it's funny as you go down the path the definition will kind of change for you but to me um Phase one of financial freedom basically just means I have enough horizontal income or passive income, whatever you call it. I have more of that than I do for my baseline of expenses, right? So if, if it, if, and, and you should know your budget, right? If it costs you and your family 
$5,500 a month, just bare minimum to exist, and you can get to where you got 6000 a month coming in passively, to me, that's financial, that's financial independence. Now, financial independence and time freedom are two different things, um, but if you get to where you have, let's say, that number of $6,000 a month coming in passively, that does give you the freedom to decide what you want to do. Do you love your W-2 job or the small business that you own, but you have to spend 60, 70 hours a week at? You may not fully own your time, um, but at least at least you're free to make that choice. Whereas if if you ever want to walk in and say, you know what, like I I don't want to do this anymore, um, you've now got that you've now got that cushion of financial independence to let you go chase your dreams. Like um, you know, Jason, I always joke with you that once I do finally get like full on financially independent, I'm gonna go uh, get a scuba diving instructor certification so I can teach people how to scuba dive at like Hidman Island Park, <laughs> and then I'm gonna get a kettlebell certification. And I'm going to just coach like one kettlebell class a week at Jason's gym. That's going to be, that'd be like my, you know, whenever I have my time freedom and financial freedom. Um, and, and where I started getting interested in financial independence, to be perfectly honest, it's because at heart, I'm truly lazy. And I think that most people that know me now would say that's absolutely not true because I, I really don't ever stop. But um, at heart, like I'm, I'm somebody who tries to work as hard as I can to get to the point of where I can rest and chill. I don't just kind of like put along and get stuff done. And, um, so early on, um, in all my jobs, I've been in the truck a lot. Like I've been driving around a lot. So I found podcasts, I found books and, and I got a hold of rich dad, poor dad. And a lot of people in this community, the financial independence, real estate, whatever, would say that this book was a game changer. So if you haven't read that, it's a super easy audio book. Listen, um, and it, uh, it, it really changed my life. The, the one thing, you know, it, it got me, the whole point of Rich Dad, Poor Dad is the same thing. It's, it's investing your money into assets that spit out more money for you. And he's really big on like getting out of the rat race, getting out of the rat race. So the one negative effect Rich Dad, Poor Dad had on me was it made me really resentful of my W-2 job. Like I got to where I was like, yeah, man, screw the man. I'm going to work for myself. And that's really not the right attitude. Um, if you're listening and you don't like your job, that's a totally different situation, but the grass isn't always greener. And, and what it took for me to learn that was um, a couple years later, I invested in a franchise, a lawn care franchise that does fertilization and weed control. And I was like, man, this is going to be my baby. We're going to grow this bad boy up. It's going to be worth a couple million dollars. I'll be able to take, you know, $100,000 a year out of it, all that good stuff. And I learned the hard way that, man, running a business is, even if it's a franchise with training wheels on it, like you literally have the handbook, you got all the support you need. And this was an industry leading franchise I was part of. It was so hard. Um, it was so much work. It was, man, having, managing employees is just unreal. And, and I was doing this, you know, basically nights and weekends while I still had my W-2. And the short version is it got to a point where I either needed to quit my job and go all in on this side hustle that would definitely build me more wealth long term, or I needed to cut the side hustle just for the fact of going back to simplicity and collect my paycheck from 3M where I have a where I have a great strong foundation and I can have all that time back from my side hustle to develop into other avenues of side hustle. And ultimately that's what I chose. So I guess that's a that's a long-winded story of me explaining that. Just because you want financial independence and you want to be able to support yourself does not mean that you have to resent your day job. You should mm. you should like you should find a day job you like and and every job, even if you know you guys know most of y'all work for yourselves in some capacity. There's even doing that. There's days that really suck, and it's no different at a day job. So if you can find a job that you really like, or um, you know a job that you get paid really well, or if you get lucky enough to have both of those, that's great. Like at that point 
you know, you can go hustle, grind, and then, you know, you got to have the discipline to focus on the other stuff to build it up. Um, but the whole goal is you start figuring out there, there's several paths to get towards financial independence. So number one is you have a really high savings rate. So let's, let's say you have a job where you have really good income or you don't have kids and your expenses are low and you can save as much as you, like you can save a really high rate, like 50, 60% of your paycheck. That's route one. And we'll talk about where we put this money in a minute. Um, but route two would be some sort of side hustle. So whether that's freelance work that actually takes your time and bit like, so, I mean, going to drive Uber, um, cleaning windows, right? Mowing people's lawns. Um, there's all kinds of stuff. And, and in this day and age in the internet, the only people that truly probably don't have time for a side hustle are people that are like managers of a hospitality, you know, like, like a general manager of a restaurant or something where you're seriously working like 80 hours a week. And at that point, it's like, you know, like I've got a buddy who, um, he works for a small, um, chain of restaurants and he probably makes quarter million dollar a year doing it. So he doesn't, and he doesn't have any kids yet. He lives in a $170,000 house. So it's like, cool. He may not need a side hustle, right? He probably just needs a really good financial advisor and he maybe, maybe, maybe acquire a rent house every three, four years and he's good, right? And but, a vacation or two. Right. Good to go. And so, and so, you know, cool. If that, you know, that wouldn't work for me because I, again, I'm lazy, but for him, like he's, he's happy and he's going to build that up and maybe he'll be able to retire 15 years early because he's smart with his money now. So I just, I give that example to say everything's different, right? Like I'm kind of right in the middle. Like I'm, I was lucky enough to have really high income for my age right out of school because of the oil and gas boom. And I had five, six years of really great income and really low expenses. And then I had two years where I was kind of figuring out this new job where my income was, you know, I really kind of had more going out than going in. And now it's kind of leveled out where, um, you know, I, I save till it hurts every month. I make decent income, but I, I save until it hurts every month so that I can pay these investment accounts. So, um, like one thing I always like to point out is, um, Grant Cardone says this, Robert Kiyosaki says it in rich dad, poor dad, but they always say, pay yourself first. And for whatever reason, I didn't understand, um, what that meant until it literally hit me like a year ago. But what, what they mean is you pay your investment accounts that are going to go to work for you and spit out more money before you pay your disposable income accounts. So before you give yourself grocery money, before you give yourself money to do anything, travel, you pay, you pay into your either accounts or into real estate assets or something that's going to slowly snowball and build that wealth, that wealth for you. And you put that first and you truly live like you're broke. Unless you're lucky enough that you make three, four, five, six hundred thousand dollars a year, then that's different. But that's not the case for most of us, right? So, um, you know, basically you're, you're paying into this and in, into these other assets and just slowly snowballing until over time, uh, the income coming from that and the equity of the stuff that you're investing in outweighs your expenses. Right. Mm -hmm. And at that point you've got some real leverage to figure out what, you know, what you can do. I feel like a lot of people don't jump on board some of this thought process because the thought of it's not how we're programmed. It's yeah. Well, in the endurance of it all. Yeah. It's it, a long, long hustle. The hardest part's getting started, right? So, mm. so for me in particular, what I do is real estate, right? Um, so for me, I'm I'm not in that super high income where I can. There's some people that like if if they just go network and they make you know they're making an extra hundred thousand dollars a year. You can go to networking events, right? You can go to real estate networking events and you can start funding deals or you can just buy a rent house every couple of years to get your feet wet and you'll learn more and more. But for me, 
Um, you know, I had to like, again, I'm, I'm lazy. So I was like, what's, what's the quickest path to me not having to work for other people? I, I looked at like real estate, right? People that own like storage units, they crush it. Um, and so for me, um, you know, kind of what, what you were just saying is that uh, I guess that people don't follow that mindset or don't subscribe to it. The hardest part is because you look at it and you're like, if I were to say like, Hey man, go buy some storage units. Like when you really sit down and think about it, you're like, yeah, that's awesome. But that's a pretty daunting task. And that's what held me up for like a year and a half was I was, you know, I was getting educated by all these books and stuff. And, uh, all these books were telling me to go bigger because it's the same process to analyze an apartment complex as it is a house. And it's at, at, at its core, that's very true. But for me personally, like it took me a year and a half to realize like, I'm, I'm not going to go put an offer in on a $3 million apartment complex as a newbie. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Where am I going to get that money? Like, sure, I can analyze it. I can tell you if it's a good deal by what I've learned off of running calculators off of LoopNet. I know what to ask for, <laughs> but it doesn't mean I'm going to fund this deal and figure it out. Sounds really obvious that, um, you know, I would, that I should figure that out, but it took me a while. And so finally what I did, like, I'm all about baby steps. So finally I just got really frustrated and I said, you know what, I'm buying a duplex in the next, uh, 60 days. So I got with a partner and we were like, okay, between the two of us, we're ready to throw down about $70,000 to buy a duplex. And so we made it happen. We called a realtor. We got like our parameters where we were going to do it, blah, blah, blah. And, and to be honest, like it was, it was just an okay deal. You're never going to get rich off of your first investment or your first real estate deal. Um, and as long as you do the minimal amount of expected homework, you're not going to go broke either. It's just about taking that baby step. Right. Um, and so so we got that duplex done. We let it kind of stabilize. That led me to do the next duplex where I was able to learn some tricks on how to do a little bit better. So I got one that was a little bit better of a deal where I was going to have to put a little bit less money in. And, um, and after I let that one stabilize, that's whenever I was like, oh, I could do a non-conventional loan on these, right? Because the first two, I was putting 20% down. So, you know, basically $35,000 a pop and I did... I did them um, almost a year apart. That's a lot of cash to save up, right? I mean, for anybody, realistically. Yeah. And um, so then I was like, this isn't sustainable. Like I can't, and, and, and you need a lot of units to have enough cash flow to be totally independent. So, so you, I started looking at creative financing where I could go to a private lender and basically, and, and what I specialize in, any investor that's going to go buy real estate. So if we're talking real estate rentals now, the best way to get in on a good deal is find something that needs some work. It's undermanaged. The owner lives out of state. It's got some deferred maintenance. Rents are below market. That's the kind of stuff that I'm like, oh yeah, I'm all in. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not so much looking for, hey, there's foundation issues. The roof's got a hole in it. Like I, I'm looking for something where if we can go in there and if we just repaint it, put new floors on, put new fixtures in um, and just give it a facelift, then I'm going to be able to raise the rents 100 to 200 bucks. Um, that's like where that's my sweet spot. Cause you can go in and buy something for a hundred thousand dollars, put 15,000 into it. You're into it for one fifteen, And now all of a sudden it's worth one sixty, one seventy. Mm. So you've created all this equity, this extra wealth for yourself just by doing that. Right. Yeah. And so if you take that project to these private lenders, like I just bought, um, so the, the most recent one I did was three duplexes and I, I analyzed that deal under conventional, 20% down, closing costs, all that, and doing a rehab. And it was going to take $200,000 in cash to do that, which I had not anywhere close to that. And so I was looking at it with a partner and we ended up backing out and 18,000 of that was closing costs. Shit. Yeah. And so, it, so that's enough to be for anyone to be like, I'm not going to get into real estate. This is way out of my wheelhouse. But I went and looked at it from a 
creative financing standpoint. And I was able to basically say, hey, if we buy it for four thirty-five, dollars and I put $45,000 worth of rehab in there, it's going to be worth um, $539. It's going to be worth like right around $540. And we basically had an appraiser go out there and look at it and say, yep, yep, if you buy it for this and if you do all this stuff, it's good. So I bought it on an interest-only period. So my, my monthly payment is like 2200 bucks. So this thing's already cash flowing. And right now we're in the middle of rehabbing it. So we're slowly getting all the tenants out, fixing them up, raising the rents and stabilizing them. And instead of writing a $200,000, actually it would have been a $150,000 check at closing and then paying 50 grand for the rehab, I wrote an $11,000 check. Mm. And so instead of having a partner, I bought it by myself mm. and it makes the deal cash flow even better. So if anyone's listening to this and they're not, you know, and they have, this is their first, um, like, I guess, experience listening to real estate and your mind is just totally lost on this. Um, but you're interested in real estate, I would recommend the Bigger Pockets podcast. That's like the biggest, best podcast out there. And I would definitely recommend um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. But so so for me, like what I'm doing to generate wealth is I'm, I'm buying these buy and hold rentals. And, and you asked where I'm at right now. I sold uh, the lawn care franchise. To be honest, I didn't really make a whole lot of money on that. Uh, pretty much broke even. But I, I like to say that I got a master's degree for free because learned a ton um, and it's going to be it's going to be great carrying me forward. Um, but so what I do is, um, you know, I said option two is, is if you, is if you don't make a whole lot of money, you can make extra money in a side hustle. So one of my side hustles now is I actually buy and sell raw land. And, um, so that's why like, I mean, with the power of the internet, I can do this stuff truly on my own time. I, uh, I pick a County, I, I buy the data at five cents a record and I, I mean, it's just like a form of what I'm selecting on, you know, I want people that have between five and 10 acres where the deed's been in effect for at least 10 years. I want them to have owned it a while. And in, in this county, yes or no to back taxes, whatever. And I'll sit there and play with these parameters till I get about 2000 people. And then I put together a customized mailer where it pulls their data from the Excel sheet. So if you get the letter, it's like, Hey, Jason, my name's Scriven from, you know, and it's got my company. I'm interested in your 4.5 acres in Nueces County. And I, and I know about what I'm willing to pay just by doing research. So I'll, it'll auto populate like my price. I'll put a purchase agreement in there or they can fill out a form on my website, call me, email me. And basically I'm looking for, I'm looking for people that are, I don't want to say only, some of them are distressed to be honest, like they need to sell it. And I don't want it to sound like I'm predatory, like I'm swooping in there because if you try to list a, a small piece of land with a realtor, I I've actually listed some of these ones that I bought with a realtor and Quite frankly, for the most part, they just don't care. They're not gonna. They're gonna give you an inflated number of what it's worth. It's gonna sit for 90, 100 days. I, I just, I'm in the middle of selling one right now that's been on the market for nine months, and they promised me up and down it would take 30 days. And um, so what I do is I go, I give them a realistic cash price where I know that I can resell it, and I'll do the marketing myself. And there's meat on the bone for me to make money, but I'm able to put cash in their pocket like within a week. Mm. And so typically, my client is somebody that. They're like, yeah, you know, you know, we'll, the, our average piece that we buy is probably like $15,000. And that's, these people are like, yeah, I could definitely use $15,000 right now. And instead of having to go pay an agent just to get an extra, you know, 10% on that or whatever, I'm able to put cash in their pocket right then. And then I market it places like Facebook, um, Craigslist, and sometimes I will list it on the MLS. And, uh, and then basically I resell it. That gives me extra money that I'm able to then buy duplexes with, mm -hmm. you know, instead of, you know, we don't, we don't use that money to go eat or go do anything, um, crazy. It's all, it's all to build wealth, right. So that we right. can get to that point. What of, do you, what do you, what do you tell, 
like I'm listening to all this and it all makes sense to me as a 40 year old man who's not even really been involved in that game, but I see, I see, uh, uh, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. I see, um, I see the moves that people like you are making. Uh, and then you mentioned Grant Cardone's name. I've watched a lot of his mm -hmm. stuff in the past. Like just listening to people, you can collect a lot of data, right? But it makes sense to me. But does it make sense to, let's say it doesn't make sense to, like, the 23-year-old who's just, okay. just out of college. He's got a vehicle that he should have never bought. Yep. He's got a credit card that he's maxed out. Um, let's go hard in the paint here. Let, maybe, 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 he just, yeah. maybe he just got his high school sweetheart pregnant, right? Like, there's, there's some things on the table. Like, where does that guy start? Okay. No, that's good. Okay, so first of all, I go back to Dave Ramsey here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> If you're in that situation, you want to tackle any private debt first. So your, your stuff like student loans, like you want to call around and try to refinance stuff um, and, and try to, you want to pay down that stuff that's the highest interest rate and or the lowest principal amount first because you're going to get that snowball effect. If you got mm -hmm. one, if you got one that's $3,000 and it's at a high interest rate, like, man, just knock that out because it's, it's done. It's gonna, you're going to get a little bit of a psyche victory there. You can move on to the next one and, and, and you can compound that, that money into going into this next one and it starts to snowball, right? So let, let's just take the average 23-year-old, right? Maybe they went to college, maybe they didn't, but they're just graduating and it's not that they're in a whirlwind of debt, pregnant girlfriend, whatever. They just don't, they just don't know what they're doing. They're mm -hmm. out looking for a job. My advice, and again, this is just my personal advice. Grant Cardone would tell you I'm absolutely wrong in this advice, but Single family real estate is how I got started to understand the game. My advice would be to go buy a very reasonable single family home or duplex or triplex with an FHA loan. And the reason um, that you that I say that is because you can put three and a half percent down mm -hmm. on an FHA loan. So versus twenty percent on yeah, your investment. That's huge. So if you tell somebody that, you know, hey, I gotta go, I'm gonna go buy a rent house. If, if I'm just going to go start knocking on doors to buy a rent house and I'm not going to move into it, I got to come up with 20% if I'm going conventional, right? But if I'm a 23-year-old fresh out of school and I just got a job in San Antonio, I can go buy a duplex, um, a single family home that maybe I'm going to rent out some rooms or whatever. So let's say a duplex, for example, I get to, I can buy that for three and a half percent down, have somebody live in the other unit and then maybe even rent out some of my bedrooms in this unit if I'm single or if my if I have a spouse or girlfriend and she's cool with that. Like while you're young and you don't have a family yet, that's your time to really get lean and mean and you can stockpile some serious stuff. And so you go buy this duplex, right? And um, you rent out, this is this concept is called house hacking. It's all over bigger pockets too. And and so we rent out the other side. We live in this side. Hopefully our expenses, hopefully our living expenses are totally wiped out, mm -hmm. right? Or maybe I'm just paying a couple hundred bucks. But you live there long enough and then you move out and you rent out both sides, right? So hopefully you're making a few hundred bucks a month and you go do it again, man. Mm -hmm. You do this two, three times. And let's say you do it three times in duplexes or single family houses, even if you don't rent it out. If you just go live in a single family house, you live there for two years in a day, you do it one more time, live there two years in a day, move out. And maybe in that third one, you have your first kid or whatever and get ready to go buy your house. You're going to go live in 15 years. Well, now you've got three rent houses that if you're buying smart in an area like San Antonio, New Braunfels, they're probably paying you between two and $500 a month per door. 
So you got that coming in while the note is getting paid down. So you look up in 25 years after working, you almost own all those houses free and clear, Mm -hmm. which let's say you had graduated when I did in 2009, you bought all these houses around 150. What are all the $150,000 houses from 2009 worth right now, Jason, here? Uh, 200 at least. 240. Yeah. They've gone up 90 grand-ish. So now you've got $270,000 in three houses in just brand new equity, not to mention the initial one. 40 or whatever that you bought them for. So worst case scenario, you're talking that you've just shaved 10 years off your retirement, right? Mm -hmm. By creating that freedom. What's more likely to happen is once you start going down that path, it totally changes the way you understand money because you start to see how you can compound it when you put it to work. And so that's when you're like, oh, holy hell, man. Like I don't need that much to live. I'm going to stay in my forever house because now I got a wife and I got two kids, which is my situation. But I've seen what the power of money can do when I go put it to work. And so that's, you know, that, that's when it changes everything. So whether it whether you're putting it in index funds, which we can talk about in a minute, or more real estate, um, you're putting it into stuff that, you know, it, it is not sexy, man. Like real estate is the cool thing to talk about right now. But once you get into it, for the most part, for 99% of us, it is a slow grind that you have to just constantly work on. You have to constantly be analyzing deals or you slowly pile them up. But it seems like a long time, but you look at them four or five years later and you're like, oh man, like this thing's already worth this much more. And what's cool is as they get worth more, you can go do a cash out refinance. So you start to get to where these things start paying themselves down and all of a sudden your $150,000 house is worth two fifty. You can, as long as you keep at least uh, just a minimum of 20% of equity in there, you can pull all the rest of the cash out tax-free and go buy another one. So it starts getting to where you know, if you, if you bought a house every two years and then once it got to year five, you refinanced it and used that cash to fund your next one. Are you following me? <laughs> I mean, you all of a sudden get to where, I mean, it, it starts snowballing again, it's compounding. Right. And so that, that's kind of like what, what I'm trying to work towards now. What I'm, what I'm trying to do instead is I'm trying to go bigger with each purchase. Mm-hmm. I bought a duplex, I bought a duplex that was a better deal. I bought a triplex. I bought six units with creative finance. So now I I told my broker, like, if you find a good deal on any of these multifamilies, I'll take them. But I'd rather try to sink my teeth into like a 20 unit apartment or get into commercial next where I can just do the same thing. Yeah. Have you ever considered or have you already bought any of your property sight unseen? Not sight unseen. I have a due diligence routine. I've bought several of my properties without stepping foot in them. Hmm. So if you know your market, you know the zip codes, um, and you have a good team around you, um, like what, what I call, I steal it from bigger pockets. I call it the core four. So that's your, your lender, uh, your property manager, your agent, and your contractor. And if you have a good core four team that they're kind of accountable for each other and, and you know your market, you don't really need to go in there. Because mm-hmm. what do I need to go if my if my property manager and my contractor are going to walk through that duplex, what the, yeah. the only reason I'm there is to pick out a paint color or be like, yeah, dude, I like that. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, but those guys are the ones that are like, yeah, you should do this. No, you shouldn't do this. Mm-hmm. Like I usually end up making myself look stupid when I'm they in know there. what they're looking at. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. So if you know that I'm buying in this neighborhood, I need y'all to show up to let me know that this thing's not going to fall over. It's it's uh, zoned correctly the rent comps that my agent gave me, are they correct? Mr. Property manager, good. And oh, Mr. Contractor gave me these bids. You're going to be able to do all this. Is that all the upgrades we need? Mr. Agent to get the the new appraised value to where I need it. Is that, is, is, is that 
rent jive. And if everybody's saying yes, and my lender is there backing me up, I don't really need to go in. Mm-hmm. So I, I've been in about half the units that I bought and the other half, I've still never been in some of yeah. them. And I like re- the way you said my team. Like, yeah. Oh yeah, dude. I'm big on leveraging. Like these, these duplexes I just bought, this is the first thing I've ever, ever, ever done that's by myself. And it's, it's just, and, and still, I'm just the only one that owns them, but my team still did the deal, but I'm really big on like, like I know what my skill sets are and I know what they're not. And so I, I would rather have, um, instead of having like one whole grape, I'd rather have a chunk of a pumpkin or something bigger, you know, mm-hmm. like I am not selfish. I'd rather let, get extra eyes on something. Let's all split the risk and split the reward. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 And the reason I asked that is because I'm really curious if I could, uh, manage to do something like this from a beach in Nicaragua for oh, the yes. rest of my life. You know what I mean? For sure. I mean, dude, with how, um, I mean, I do all my closings remote. You can get a mobile notary. I mean, they're going to have to mail the documents back because we're still pretty much in um, physical paper for a lot of this stuff. But yeah, I don't know. I'm sure it can be done mm-hmm. remote, but you can manage it all remote. I mean, I, I, I use a, I don't buy anything that doesn't cash flow with a property manager. Um, and so, so my phone doesn't ever ring. I, you know, they kind of know that if, if anything goes down, that they have my approval to send somebody to, out to diagnose it, you know, if there's electrical issue or plumbing issue or whatever. And then I, the, I only have to approve it once they've gotten an estimate. Mm-hmm. And um, so, I mean, yeah, this is something that's why I'm taking this path, right? We get back to freedom. Mm-hmm. This is, this is as close to just straight up mailbox money as you can get, in my opinion, is owning, you know, other than, other than investing in index funds or investing in um, like, real estate investment trust, like REIT funds, like stuff where it's truly, you put money in, you get a distribution, but this is true. Real estate is a way higher return. And so the trade-off is it's more work to get there, but yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, and, and again, like when we go back to the point of this podcast, like, I think one of the reasons we wanted to talk is like my, my long-term goal, it used to be like, yeah, dude, I want to, I want to get up at nine. I want to go to the gym at noon <laughs> and, um, I want to just be making, you know, $150,000 a year passively so I can just chill out and I've checked my email. That's not really how it works, man. Like w- once you start to build something, like you're just, you're always going to be challenging yourself. So really like what I want, like my, my vivid vision for myself in a few years is sure I've I've gotten to where hopefully I have ten to fifteen thousand dollars a month in passive income, which by the way I'm nowhere near that yet. We can I'll, I'll disclose everything I've got in a minute, but um, I want to get to where I work for myself at some point when the time is right. I love my job with 3M right now, but if I ever get to a point where it makes more sense, where my time or my time is more valuable working on real estate deals, I'd love to get to where. Memorial Day, once the kids are out of school, we pick a different spot and we go on an eight-week, um, I don't even want to call it a vacation. I just want to go exist in other places. So let's say we go to Denver. I want to rent a condo or a house for eight weeks and bring the dogs, bring my kids. I want to find my coffee shop that I go work at every morning and where I go check on all my my empire, right? And I want to have my gym that I go to. I want to be able to go to all the kids' functions. And to me, that's freedom. I'll still be working my ass off, I know, Um, but everything will be mine. I'll own my time. (laughs) And, um, you know, so that's, so for me, that, that's my definition of freedom is that if I want to go be a scuba diving instructor, I can, if I want to become a, you know, some sort of fitness coach or something, I can, if I want to start a freaking cooking YouTube channel, I can like, um, I think, I think you hit like that, that phrase own my time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I don't know, man, like I've talked to a lot of people in different circles, people with shitloads of money, people with zero money. 
and I keep coming back to this, and I've said this before to people, man, like, I don't care if you're the CEO of a Fortune 500 or you're the guy living behind the fucking dumpster. Like, we're all in it for the same thing, dude, and it's that freedom thing. And I know that's, like, relative because we kind of all define it a little bit different, but I think it all comes back to time. Yep. I really like that. Own your time. Yeah, man. Um, so I saw, who was it from the gym? Was it Chaz that uh, posted um, something from 4-Hour Workweek? Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, I love that book. That that was the second most impactful book I've ever read because it's all about time hacking and stuff. To me, that's what I took from it. But there's there's this whole thing where Tim Ferriss and his buddy have this accountability system that the whole premise is to not be the fat man in the red BMW, mm. I think it is. Mm-hmm. And it's just that one of them saw like a, like a guy that looked like he was just like a CPA or something, like in his 40s, had the nice watch on and... He was just obviously somebody that was just a slave to his job and mm-hmm. he drove his badass BMW and looked cool. But like to you or me, it's like, that is my nightmare. Dude, right? There's a part of that book in the beginning where Tim Ferriss is going through a little bit of his life. And this man literally admitted to making $70,000 a month and being completely miserable. Yeah. Because his business oh, owned him, right? Fuck. That's so heavy. And it's, that sucks. And man, on money too, like once you start, once you start getting to where your, your, your mindset is towards investing and and compounding and building wealth, it doesn't, when people talk about salaries, it doesn't even like, it doesn't register with me anymore. If somebody's like, yeah, dude, I make 150 grand a year. Like, to be honest with you, I, I bought and sold six or seven parcels of land this year. There was a, um, there was a saltwater disposal well that I invested in and sold. I had my salary from three. And it doesn't mean that I made a ton of money. It's not that. But what I'm saying is like, I have no clue. I haven't done my taxes yet. I have no clue exactly how much money I made. And it's, it's again, it's not because I made a lot. It's just because I was doing a lot. But I can tell you exactly how much I invested. Mm-hmm. I can tell you exactly how many assets I bought. I can tell you what I liquidated. Because that's the shit that's really going to move the needle. Mm-hmm. Because $100,000 a year versus $40,000 a year does not matter if the person making $100,000 a year spends $110,000 a year mm. and the person making forty dollars spends twenty four. dollars mm. it, it doesn't back to matter. Priori- back to priorities, right? It does not matter one bit, man. And so like that's oh. why like when people talk about salaries, I just it goes in one ear and out the other. I mean, I care for me personally, right? Because I know... I know what it costs me to keep my family afloat. So that doesn't mean that I'm going to go take a $25,000 job, right? Mm-hmm. But when people wear, like, start to make more money and they start to wear their salary like a badge of honor, like, you got it wrong. It's more of like, hey, this is, this is how much crap I passed on and how much I put yeah. away. Yeah, know? and it reminds me of the, uh, you said something to me the other day, and I cannot remember for the life of me, like, how you worded it, but it was so perfect. But it had to do with... Uh, Maybe you said lifestyle creep. Oh yeah, lifestyle creep. Exactly. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. Like, like you see, and and look, man, if if being in debt makes you happy and puts a smile on your face because you get to drive the Escalade even though you can't afford it, like if that's what makes you happy, that's cool. But I mean, for most of us, dude, debt seems to be like a dark cloud dude, that just hangs yeah. over people's heads, and. You know, Gary Vaynerchuk's like the greatest at preaching this from screaming this from the rooftops, this whole idea of like, dude, you could you could do anything in the world. You could be anybody you wanted to be if you were willing to downsize your lifestyle. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. And and like sometimes like because I subscribe to that. And to be honest, like my wife and I, we have a 
relative, like a pretty nice house. Dude, I think your house um, is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Like, I love it. So like my expenses could definitely be lower, right? Like I could absolutely tomorrow be like, you know what? Um, this is our philosophy. We've always subscribed to this. We're not practicing what we preach. We're going to move back over, you know, more like a house we used to have and shave $800 off of our mortgage. We could do that tomorrow probably. Mm-hmm. And I could probably make a lot of money selling my house. Um, but at, you know, the trade-off for me is like I, in all the other areas of my life, I don't spend a lot. Um, this t-shirt I have on was from Amazon. It's like nine bucks. I wear, mm-hmm. I go buy two or three pairs of Levi's a year from the outlet mall. And it's not, honestly, it's, it's not cause I'm frugal. It's just cause I don't really care about clothes. Like I want to look nice, but I don't, yeah. I don't care about brand name watches. I don't care about nice shoes. I don't give a shit about cars. Anytime I've had a job with a company car, I don't care if it's a Ford Pinto. I'm selling my vehicle. Like I'm going to drive the free one. And, Dude, you know, um, real quick, you know what's funny? Like, I'm hearing you say all this, and it, and it just takes me back to my military days. I had this buddy named Michael Pizzette, Mikey P, Mikey Pizzette. And, um, bro, Mikey would just, like, this guy would walk into a club and just, you you see how he's dressed, like, like to the team. And, like, he, he just had it, right? Yeah. He, he drove a BMW, but it was a used BMW that he got a really good deal yeah. on, and he kept it immaculate. Right. And so one day we're talking about money and we're kids, bro. We're like 21, 22 year old kids at this time. And I don't remember what exactly I said to him, but it triggered this. It triggered him to say this to me, bro. You don't have to be rich to look rich. Yeah. And, and, and of course that may be, you know, the opposite extreme here. Cause we're talking about Levi's and a $9 shirt from Amazon. But the point is like, you don't need Gucci to look like, presentable. Yeah. And I'll talk out of both sides of my mouth. Like I, you know, I I like to dress nice sometimes Mm -hmm. too, but it's again, like, I'm not going to buy, I will never buy like a $200 shirt. Right. Or like a, or like a $2,000 suit. Right. I'm going to go to Joseph A. Bank when they're running a two for 500 and I'm going to get a nice snazzy looking slim fit. Yep. And I might get some cool skinny ties that I spend 40 or 50 bucks on. But like, I'm just lucky that that, that stuff's never really appealed to me. I like to spend my money on good food, Mm. travel, Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and saving it for real estate. And luckily, like the other thing is like, you have to be there. There's a, there's a blogger and her Instagram handle is at broke millennial. It's broke, broke millennial blog. And she has this big point about how you have to be able to get financially naked with your partner. Right. Cause that's, that's a big deal. Right. You got like, and luckily my wife, like I'll just, I'll come home and be like, Hey, I'm thinking about putting $50,000 into this thing. Right. And it's not like we have multiple bags of $50,000 sitting around. Like if I do that, that is like a gigantic chunk of, yeah. what I, of like what I can put. And she'll just be like, Oh, okay, that's cool. I trust you. And then, you know, I might sell a piece of land and make $15,000 or so. And I'll be like, Hey, I made $15,000. I sold that piece of land that was here. And she'll go, Oh, cool. Will you get me something? And I'll be like, well, what do you, what do you want? And she'll be like, can I just have like, could I have like two or 300 bucks? And I'm like, Oh my God, I love you. Like <laughs> made $15,000 and you just want $200. Like that's awesome, man. And so that, that makes it. Nice well, and easy, yeah. Right? And I, yeah. I feel like to that, it's that, that's to me sounds like teamwork makes the dream work, Yeah, you know, and, and having a good partner in, 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 in business, but a partner at home yeah. is, is huge, man. And I think, uh, I think uh, if you if you got you know the people that are closest to you are, are wrapped into what it is that you're doing, man, it does make things so much easier. Because she could easily be oh yeah one of these uh, the opposite in the spectrum. You're gonna be left with two hundred dollars, yeah. and she's taking the rest. You know, there's a lot of families that live like that because I there's know. there's not a balance between. Yeah, them. Ma- mama wants a new house in the country club area, mm-hmm. and you know, there, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, I see it. Like I, I have 
you know, I, I, I see a lot of people that are young and they're getting that second or third, you know, I feel like the people that went to, went and got like a business degree, the people that are 31, 32, they're starting to get that second or third job or promotion to where they're making 150, 160, 170,000 a year. Mm -hmm. But a lot of them are building the 550 and $600,000 houses at the same time. And it's just like, man, like that's that lifestyle creep, man. Yeah. Just hold on to what you got for five more years and then do it. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. some, you know, try to compound that and create, tell yourself, you know what? Okay. If I do that, I need to save up a nest egg of a hundred thousand dollars to put down. And my mortgage is going to be $3,000 a month. So I will build, I will build that dream house in the country club when I have $3,000 in passive income. Cause then mm. at least my living expense is free. Yeah. And if that's important to me that I want a big house with a pool, at least earn it first. Right. right like, right. like where you've earned that. And so that's kind of like anything that I'm going to try to inflate. That's going to add a residual expense. I try to make sure that I've got passive income that's going to cover it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and to loop back to like advice that I would give people that are young, if, if you're just like, like some people are like, man, I don't, I don't like real estate. I'm not willing to go that route. Um, like, are you guys familiar with what an index fund is? Sort of, kind of. So an index fund is the, is basically instead of buying a stock, right? Like I work for 3M, buying 3M stock or Halliburton or, um, you know, Google or whatever, you're buying the market as a whole. So the S&P 500 index fund literally just means I am buying the, the market. And so for people that are like, you know what, I don't want to go deal with a full on financial advisor and all that. Here's, here's what I would say. If you have a job that pays a 401k, you max it out because if, if there's any sort of matching program, you're getting free money in there. Mm -hmm. And the 401k, it, the 401k could even be in an index fund. I mean, usually you're going to have a good management company that's going to diversify it. So don't even look at it. Just, you know, put your target retirement date and they're going to do a good job, but you max that out. And what's cool about that is when you start drawing on that, it's at retirement age. So you're taking a lot, you're, you're not making a salary anymore. So it's going to lower your taxable income. So that money goes in pre-tax and lowers your taxable income now. And then when you take it out, you're, you're paying taxes on a tax bracket at when you're 65. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So an index fund is how you level up, right? So you say, okay, I'm putting 8%, 9% of my money into this 401k let's like, you know, if, if I were to challenge you guys, would you, would you have an extra hundred dollars a month to set aside in an index fund right now? If you had to, mm -hmm. no big deal, right? Mm -hmm. Would you have, do you have $2,000 that like, if you, if you wanted to go set up a, an investment account, would you able to scrounge together $2,000? Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm going to open, this is like, this is like what I do when I'm like sitting on the toilet and stuff. And I like, <laughs> I play with a compound interest calculator. <laughs> the rest of us are wasting time so on Facebook. Bad. Oh, I do that too. <laughs> Speaking of, um, while I open this, I got to find it. I just invested in a bidet. Really? Dude, game changer. Yeah. 30 bucks. Man. My, my boy Norris has one. Remember? Mm -hmm. In New York? It was, dude. It's, it, it is cool. Okay, so I have a I have an app called a compound calculator. So if you yeah. just type in compound interest on your phone, right? So you're gonna put the amount of years, right? So you're 40, right? Let's say you're not gonna touch this till you're 60. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's 20 years. Interest rate, the S and P 500, uh, the Vanguard uh, index fund, S and P 500 index fund has averaged 10 10 percent return over the last 40 years. So we'll use 10. Uh, initial contribution, you're gonna put in two thousand dollars. And your monthly is going to be what's a fair, what's a reasonable number for most let's, people? Let's so just like, let's just call it a hundred. A hundred bucks. Let's just just for number's sake. Okay, so a hundred bucks a month, you would not even miss that. 
I, I would I would argue most people would not even miss $100 a month. And I say pay yourself first, meaning this comes into your paycheck. You set up an automatic withdrawal out of your checking on the first that that $100 comes out. So you never freaking see it, right? Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter. So it's, it's easy to part ways with. So over your 20 years, you're going to contribute $26,000 with your $2,000 down and your 20 years at $100 a month, $26,000. That's really not that much whenever you're 60. But you know what the interest is going to do to that? The profit is going to be an extra 56000 So that's $82,000 just by setting 100 bucks a month aside. Yeah, dude, that's huge. $82,000. So let's say you do that for a little bit, and then you're like, dude, this is kind of fun. I want to I wanna put in 250 bucks a month. Now, now we're at $185,000. Damn. And so... What, man, this is incredibly important because we're sitting here and we're talking, we're using words like, you know, in the beginning of the pre-show here, we're talking about um, priorities, right? People people will pay money for good quality food. Um, I won't say they will. I say people have the money for good quality food if they would reprioritize their life. And we're talking about people like, like maybe like whenever I was young, we were super poor. Like, like you don't have a lot to begin with. Right. Right. But mysteriously, you do have money to go out on Friday night. Yeah. Right. Like where did that money come from? And dude, I know like in my past, whenever I was, you know, that rambler, it was nothing for me to go out and spend 150 bucks on a bar tab you know what I mean? Like that's that's. There's times you know, this is easy at certain points. So if it's yeah, yeah, yeah. so so if if it's easy to like, the the dollar amount's still the same. Like, stop doing it. If you did that twice a month, that's three hundred dollars a month. Yeah. Okay. I mean, so, um, the whole the whole thing here is priorities. One thing that I learned from a lieutenant commander when I was in the Navy, Tracy Conroy. Man, I love that guy. I haven't seen or heard from him forever. I think it's on my Facebook. Um. This guy, uh, man, two different times, we had a once a, a very nice scolding as a unit. We got a scolding from Lieutenant Commander Conroy, um, which is kind of funny because he's not a type of guy that gets mad. So seeing him mad is kind of funny. But at that time, there was a bunch of like super low ranked, you know, what we call boots. You guys know what boots are, right? <laughs> They're like, yeah, no shit, bro. Yeah. Um, new guys coming into the unit. And notoriously during this time in the world, there would be um, buy here, pay here car lots everywhere. 21% interest. Yes, dude. Yes. <laughs> yes, dude. E1 and E1 and above financing. Da, 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 da. Commander Conroy, dude, one day we rolled in and this dude's like, if one more motherfucker comes to this unit with a 20% car note, I mean, dude, I heard stories. Uh, I don't know how true they were. I heard stories of people paying 30 to 40% on some of these cars, bro. But he's like, dude, if, if one more motherfucker comes into this place with a 20% car note, the entire unit's going to captain's mast. I'm, everybody's going up. Good right? for him, man. Yeah, like, like he was, like, and his deal was like, stop signing the papers. At, at a minimum, even if you think it's a good deal, great. Bring me the papers. Let me look over everything. I will be your guy. That's cool. You know, he was cool like that. But the other thing is another time he was giving us a little speech and it was um, one of those whiteboard speeches and he was doing the same thing you're doing right now, right? So you calculated this off of me being 40 and what he was trying to do 
was calculate these same exact things off of being 19, 20, 21 years old. And he was yeah, trying dude. to get this through our heads. And dude, the numbers were astronomical, dude. Like you can retire a millionaire if you, and, and with, with very little risk. Yeah. If oh, you, there was, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, if, if, if you, you know, don't go out there, start day trading, think that that's the, your answer. Right. This is a very conservative approach. Slow and steady. And you don't peak. It's not something that you look at and you get fidgety about. You just keep, the only way to lose is not to play. That's, <laughs> that's something that uh, Tony Robbins always says. Cause he's, I mean, as much as he's a motivator, he's a finance guy too. And he always says, and, and that's, that's like one point I want to make is for anybody that's like, not sure what they want to do. I, I put a post on this on my Instagram the other day, but for anybody that's kind of got an, like analysis paralysis or just not sure what to do. There's a, there's a company called Stockpile that's online. You can open it on your phone. You can pick the index fund as your investment, and you can set up an auto draft. I set one up for my two-week-old daughter the other day from the kitchen table, and it's got, it's got 55 bucks a month going in it. I started it out with 400 bucks, and, it, and at, at like what I calculated, what I'm going to auto draft in there, it's, it's going to add probably an extra $20,000 to her college account. And what I'll, you know, I'll probably still open a 529 for her. And what's really cool about real estate is in 18 years, I can refinance one of these duplexes and probably pull a hundred grand out tax free and just mm -hmm. say, here you go. Here's your college. So what if she doesn't want to go to college? That's why I'm not doing a 529. Oh, right. Yeah. I can pull it so out. You can do and, whatever uh, you want. Yeah. Like what, what I'm hoping with my kids, dude, I already take my two year old. He'll be three Friday. I take him to real estate closings. Yeah. He doesn't know what the hell he's doing, but I just like take selfies with him and stuff and <laughs> let him hold the pen. But, um, I want them to, uh, I'm, I'm not going to tell them not to go to college. Um, I'm not going to teach them that, you know, Working for the man is bad, but what what I am going to push my kids to do is, unless you have like a true passion, like you meet those some, certain kids in high school where they're just going to be a doctor, they mm -hmm. are going to be a marine biologist, I want to train, Shamu, whatever. I was not that. I didn't know what the fuck I want to do, so I was like, my dad was like, go to business school because that's where you can make the most money, and and I'm, I'm glad he did that because like, honestly, like it's, it's led me to have sales jobs that have higher income, but like... I'm hoping that my kids just really understand money by the time they go yeah. to school. So, so what's more important to me is like, I'd rather them say like, yeah, I am going to go to school. Um, but I'm going to try to buy two houses while I'm yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know? And so I don't know what the college landscape will look like, but that's why, like, that's why I love real estate, man. It's like, mm -hmm. I can, you know, I have these, I bought these three duplexes. So I joke with my wife. I said, well, this one's Reed's, uh, our, our boys, <laughs> this one's Remy's, our daughter, and I said, and this one's yours and mine. This will be our, you know, whenever they go to school and we re we refinance all this stuff out, this will be where we get our little vacation cabin, mm -hmm. you know, in the hill country or whatever with. But, you know, likely I'll, I'll end up trading up the whole thing, hopefully into a commercial property in a few years. Right. But it's just. Dude, I told you about these. Um, and it's just rewinding back. I was telling you the other day about uh, when we were in Nicaragua surfing the first time I went down there. Yeah. And we, we came across these people that Andre had met before. Mm -hmm. And it was a man and a woman. Dude, they, I'm guessing on their age, but old boy must have been late 40s. Lady must have been low 40s. You know, somewhere in between. Yeah. Let's say between 40 and 50. Six months out of the year, they lived at Whistler, snowboarding. The other six months out of the year, they lived in Nicaragua, surfing. Yeah. Didn't ask them what they did. <laughs> Probably should have. We talked about that. Yeah. Scrooge's like, collect that data. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what do they do, man? Come yeah, on. but but but, dude, when we're talking about freedom, Jesus Christ, bro, like it does, like, and and dude, they 40, 50 years old, kind of in that. I don't like I said, I don't know. I'm just guessing, but between forty and fifty, these people looked phenomenal, dude. Yeah. 
They were in shape, dude. You could tell they surfed their asses off, dude. They had great skin, their muscle tone, like everything about them, dude. It's just incredible. Both of them were incredible athletes. You could see by the way they rode their boards, yeah. you know, and just loving life. How can you not, dude? Dude, that makes me think of something that I wanted to make sure make sure that I touched on. So when I got into this stuff, I got, I got really obsessed with um, building wealth, building an empire, working for myself, all this stuff. And I really, I didn't realize it at the time, but I was not, I was not enjoying anything I was doing. It was all about like just grind to build this stuff. Like, so I could hurry up to get there and chill. And if there's ever a there, if there's ever an end goal, you're going into it wrong. Like you have to understand your why I told you my why. And it's not that I want to sit on my ass anymore. It's that I want to be able to run my empire remote and be there to do whatever my family and I want to do right within reason. We don't need to go on a yacht, but if I want to go rent a house in Colorado for a month, awesome, let's do it. And, um, but I, I found that I was like, that was whenever I had two or three little side hustles going, I was all in on real estate. I was doing my day job and I don't know what happened, but like every, all these guys, Aubrey Marcus, Gary V, they're always like, you have to enjoy the process. And it was something that like, I feel like you're not, you, you hear advice all the time, but you, it finally soaks in when you're ready. Right. Yeah, you comprehend it. Yeah, yeah. You know? And so it's like, level. like whenever you're ready to understand it, it really soaks in and, um, you have to enjoy the process. Yeah. You have to enjoy every day. And so like right now, like I said, I'm nowhere near my financial end game, but I've never been having more fun because I finally was like, dude, I don't need to stress myself out you over the fact that I'm not there yet. Yeah. Like, and it's cause I, you know, there, there's like a 28 year old kid that's got a business that went, that he went to high school two years behind me. And you know, you, you hear about these kids that already have these multi-million dollar businesses. And for some reason I was like comparing myself to this guy instead of like just celebrating his success for him and mm. loving my journey. I don't know if he's happy. I don't know if he goes home and fucking drinks a case of beer every night. Yeah. You know? So who cares? That's why we don't judge. Right. <laughs> and so be happy, celebrate other people's successes. And, yeah. and it sounds so cliche and obvious, but like, if you're not, if, if you're not enjoying yourself right now, then whenever you get to wherever that, whenever you get to the next, that, that, that goal, there's always going to be the next goal. Right. There's never like a, okay, I've made it. I can relax. And I heard that a million times. And so I hope that other people can hear it from me and try to like, let that be your motivator. Cause this, this kind of crap doesn't happen overnight. You mentioned those people were surfing. I guarantee you while they were grinding to get to that point, they were still carving out time to go on 10 day vacations every oh, year, every yeah. year. And that's what we do. Like my wife and I, we, we work hard, but we have a lot of freedom at our job. And so, dude, we, we'll take a 10-day Thailand vacation mm -hmm. once, you know, we'll do something like that once every three or four years. And and if and if you know how to use credit card points right, you can do that shit pretty cheap. Yeah. Um, dude, I saw a meme on Facebook the other day, and it was these two old people, husband and wife, in a gondola in Italy. And they were fucking passed out, dude. Like, they were both just sleeping their asses off in this gondola and all this beauty around them. And the meme was, this is why you don't take, you don't, this is why you don't wait until retirement to take vacations. Yeah, and that's, that, that's something that you get from 4-Hour Workweek, right? He talks about mini retirements and, and sure, I subscribe to that. I'm not there yet. I don't have, my job, I have to be in a territory. I have to visit fire departments and oil and gas companies in my territory. So it is what it is. However, I have enough freedom that if I want to go, you know, if, I have three weeks paid vacation and that, that's pretty good. Like you can get a lot done in that. And there's times where I can, I can just answer, I can just answer my phone if it rings on a Friday and maybe mm -hmm. we'll drive to Dallas to visit friends and I don't have to take a vacation day, but really I only worked four days that week or, mm -hmm. you know, so just use what you can and make time to go on trips and do stuff and enjoy the process. Like don't be freaking out that you're not already at the end goal because you know, at the rate I'm going, it's going to take me a while. Like I, I told you, I'd tell you what all I've got. Like as far as 
vertical um, or horizontal income, passive income, theoretically, I'm at like a little under $2,000 a month. I don't ever touch it. I leave it in those accounts so I can keep making those properties nicer because I want to slowly get to where my property is like they're in B class neighborhoods, but I want them to go in and be like, oh, damn, like this one's got granite countertops. It's got this. And so for me, it's I don't need the cash flow yet because I have a job. Right. And then I sell land to get bigger chunks of cash and, and I'll be able to do creative financing. So I'm slowly learning that game. So I'm not worried about that cash flow right now. But over time, as I do these deals, you know, I want to get it to 10 to 15,000 bucks, really. Yeah. And what's cool about it, cash flow from assets, it is not taxed like your income. Like real estate, real estate cash flow is barely taxed for like the first 27 years you own a property because of the way it's depreciated out. So, so $15,000 a month from real estate is really like $22,000, $23,000 a month from a job. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So, um, so that's just one point I wanted to make is like, if you're not, if you're not enjoying the process as it stands, you got to reevaluate from there. So you can't, you can't resent your job. If you don't like your job, that's a totally different thing. You know, go, go get a job that you like better or go get a job that pays you more. Um, you know, I, I chased money to be honest, just because to like all jobs are going to have their stuff that sucks. So I chased money and freedom. I've never worked in an office. I've always had to eat what I ate, what I kill basically. Right. So I'm on a high risk, high reward commission based stuff. Cause I like that environment. I'm going to go compete and I'm going to, I'm going to max out whatever that comp plan is. And so that's why like, if, if, if this all fell apart tomorrow, I'd probably go get a real estate, um, agent license or something, you know, cause I would, and I would go and I would do my best to make a lot of money but my lifestyle wouldn't change. It'd be so I can just scale up faster and mm. buy more stuff, right? That's going to pay me. What, why do you work for yourself? Well, for me, um, I, I just kind of saw it as like a challenge in a way, yeah. you know what I mean? And, uh, and, and it is a, another f- form of freedom. Um, like I don't have the same financial freedom and I, and I worked my ass off to get, to give myself a cushion the same, in the same way. You know what I mean? Like I have, enough to where I couldn't make a dime for a year and I'd be okay. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. So, and you know, like I, and I'm, like I said, I'm not making like crazy money right now, but I'm planting seeds. It's, it's the same thing. Um, I think kind of between the nutrition and tying that in with finances, I think the biggest like mental game that I'm kind of realizing learning is just saving some for later Mm. is like kind of the, the key phrase that's like, resonating with yeah, me dude, you know it's just well, save some for later yeah. owning your own business like it's that's what i always try to explain to people is it changes your brain and you can't explain it to people until they do it until you go own and operate a business changes the way your brain processes stuff so by saving it for later like you just know that you're going to continue to grow in what you're doing and so something's going to present itself where you're going to it's right. going to make sense to you and you're going to be able to to pounce on it and also yeah. i go back to the fact that i didn't have a clear talent or a clear passion like mm-hmm your profession and photography, especially in the fitness industry, like it's all, it's, you have a true passion and you have a true talent. So if, if that's like, and that's why I say like, if you want to go to college for something like that, if my kids have something that they're good at and passionate about, great. I was one of the many people that is not that guy. I was like, I do not know what I want to do. Like, you know? And so, yeah, that's good. But that's good that you're. Yeah. And then I think it just, it gives you the opportunity to put yourself in, uh, just another realm of opportunity that you wouldn't be able to like touch. And if you were tied up in, in a, like working for the man or whatever you want to call it, like mm-hmm. 
the way I saw saw things a lot of the time is like, man, I would love to be doing like that or like being talking with these guys. You know, I wouldn't be here right now, you yeah. know, if I was sitting at my in my office, you know. Yeah, and y'all worked out at nine AM this yeah. morning. Y'all yeah. you know, y'all y'all go swim in the river yeah. at eleven o'clock on Wednesdays. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes it, I get to go, but And I'm still working too. <laughs> like in between that I went to a meeting, I met with somebody right before I came over here. You yep. know what I mean? Like it's all about like basic time management. So you mm-hmm. can have the freedom of like having just a craft like being an owner operator and then being where you need to be whenever you need to be there Mm -hmm. and then just doing whatever else you want it's all a continuum of money and time freedom Mm -hmm. right and like you know so you have more time freedom sometimes because your business is truly results oriented right so you know if you have time to go mess around at the river whereas there's times that i have time to go mess around at the river but it's just i'm expected to be working for my company at that time right so my time freedom's a little bit Mm -hmm. less right so it's all it's all a continuum right and you got to find that happy medium and let's let's say you leave here and you're all inspired by talking to me right and you're like okay now i want to i want to keep doing this but i want to buy a shitload of real estate what's cool is that with the power of the internet man like you could you could go learn how to do like foreign like you could do a forex so like foreign stock trading you could you could you know, I could I could sit down with you and show you how I flip land, right? And you yeah. could, you could start at the thousand dollar parcels that you're selling for four. Like, mm. yeah. that's how I started. I was at a I was at a neighborhood mixer, and I met this neighbor that I hadn't even met yet, and it was because our kids were about the same age, and they were playing. And and again, you said you you need to put out you need to put out into the world like what your visions and goals yeah. are. And I told this guy like I'm trying to get into real estate. I've got one duplex, but like that's my end game. And he was like, Yeah, dude, I work at USAA, but I flip land. And I was like, Huh? Tell me more about it. And I mean. 30 days later, I had mailers out. Yeah. Damn. And so it's like, you got to put it out there. Like, yeah. and dude, that's a, go. that's such a huge thing, man. Like you literally had a conversation and then 30 days later you had mailers going out. And like, we've been, me and like Juan with like the agriculture side of things, like part of it is like, there's, there's always that. Have you ever read this book by Stephen Pressfield called the war of art? I've not not the yeah. art of war, the war of art. Yeah. Like this thing inside of you, we all got it, the resistance. resistance yeah. And the resistance will pull you away from your truth. It will pull you away from, uh, to, you, dude, you've worked out the last six days in a row, dude. You, you don't need this next workout, right? Or I just got done brushing my teeth. I'm walking back in my bedroom. I don't need to make my bed. I'll just move on. Whatever. Yeah. The thing you're or supposed to- Or it can be to, in other people too. Yeah. Like- um, you could be like, oh, I'm not going to do that because, you know, she doesn't like it or, or whatever. Right. We, we like you know. to look, we like to give ourselves an right. out. It's, if the mm-hmm. first time you give yourself an excuse or an out, it's, uh, you're, you're like, oh, it's okay. This didn't work out because this and that's fine. Well, then, and the thing is, is like you, it's almost like you start practicing that and you, you get good at what you practice, right? So I heard, I think Mel Robbins once, I've, I might be wrong on this, but I think it was Mel Robbins. She was like, hey, sure, the, the McDonald's hamburger doesn't matter this time. And how many times are you going to tell yourself that before you become the McDonald's hamburger set, guy? That's a habit. Though. Like you're the guy now. And so we've been talking about this. I mean, it was like the going up there to dr- driving eight hours to Arkansas last week yeah. and then back. It was the whole time in my head. I was like, do you really want to drive that far? Right. Is it, you know, is the information being presented going to be like, you don't, you, why are you even asking those questions? You don't even yeah. know. You don't even know. And, you, and this could be the, like the worst thing it could be the best thing you're never going to know if you don't make moves and so i'm thinking lately i've been trying to do a much better job of dude when it crosses your mind you fucking act on it there are days when i wake up and it doesn't cross my mind to walk outside and pour 
10 gallons of cold ass water on my head and I'm okay with that. But there are other days where it does cross my mind and I have to move on that because guess what? If I don't, dude, it's like the whole Setting day, precedent. the whole yeah. day, the whole day is fucked. You lost yeah. the whole yeah. day is fucked, you know? So that's why I like, um, like I know, I know for sure you are into journaling because I see you post on it and stuff. And I've, I'm, I'm still learning kind of like, you know, everyone should you get out of journaling what you put into it, right? So it's like, you know, I'm not somebody who can like put a paragraph down on like, you know, just general stuff. But I, I like having, um, again, I go back to Bigger Pockets. They've got one called the the night. It's called the Intention Journal, and it's meant to break up goals in 90 day sprints where it's like, this is what I'm going to get done in 90 days. This is what I'm going to get done this week. And this is like my daily, you know, my most important next step. So it might be literally something like call the realtor. Mm. And in that way, if I get home at the end of the day and I didn't call the realtor, I'm like, shit, dude, like I was supposed to just call the realtor. It's that freaking easy. And honestly, that's what my, the last time I used that journal goal one was execute a deal with creative financing right? So step one was talk to Taylor. Taylor's my buddy that uses that same type of loan all the time to flip houses. And so I talked to him to understand it. So step two was introduce myself to that lender. So I called that lender and said, Hey, like I know Taylor, um, this guy's out of my hometown in San Angelo. He knows my dad. I was like, this is what I'm trying to do. You know, would we be able to do that? And he was like, yep. So I understood the parameters. So step three, Mm. the next day was call my realtor and explain to him the loan process that I got and what type of deal I'm looking for. And what's funny is this was a 90-day thing. And since I had three goals, I was kind of focused on the other two. And I kept kind of like fluffing around on on that big one, the one that like the one that you really need to do, but it's the one that gets to the bottom of the list every time. <laughs> and finally I was like, damn it, like I need to just start by calling Taylor. And I mean, within 10 days of starting to go through those steps, I had a freaking deal under contract. Holy fuck. Dude. A, a four hundred and you know, fifty thousand dollar deal under contract within 10 days. And that was the third time that I had kind of used that. Like I told you, I find like the first time I bought a deal, I was finally like, I had analysis paralysis because I was looking at crap like apartments that I knew I would, in the back of my mind, I wasn't going to buy. I was like, all right, I'm buying a duplex in 60 days. Here's how much cash I have. Here's what type of property I want. And it's like, if you can just, uh, man, if you can just have that discipline to just take those baby steps, man. Um, was it you talking about um, working out is like moving a pile of rocks and some days you use a shovel and some days you use a No, spoon. I think somebody posted that on, on social media the other day because I feel like I've... Yeah, it was, it was basically saying like working out is like moving a big pile of dirt and uh, some days you, you're you just hoisting it over with a shovel or a wheelbarrow and some days like you go out there with a freaking ice cream spoon and throw a little bit but as long as uh, you're like... Ta- if, as long as you're chipping away, right? It's all it's all about baby steps to me. And it's like every time I've every time I've broken a deal down into just what's the most important next thing I can do to actually get this done. Mm-hmm. And that's why like I haven't executed an apartment deal yet, because it's like I, I start visualizing those steps and I'm like, oh, I'm just not there yet. You know? So mm-hmm. my next steps for apartments are gonna be to reach out to people that have done it and take them out for a coffee or a beer mm-hmm. and see like, you know, just kind of see if that's where I wanna go and, and learn and um, I'll make it happen when when that's ready. But um, man, visualization, writing down your goals, tracking them, especially when you're talking in the realm of a side hustle. Like mm-hmm. you already have your nine to five, you have your family and you've got your fitness and wellness on top of that. And, um, like which to go on another tangent, I've told you this, like if you focus on, if you take care of your body, like focus on yourself before everything else, it sounds selfish is what I told you the other day. Mm-hmm. And you were like, no, absolutely not. But it, like for me personally, if I focus on um, if I, fo- if I focus on working out, it makes me sleep better. I'm more mm-hmm. disciplined going to bed. I drink mm-hmm. less, which makes me eat, um, better. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which ends up giving me energy and I have to budget time for that workout, which means I have to budget time for my side hustle stuff better. Instead of just saying, oh, I'll get done with work. I'll come home and work on real estate. Mm -hmm. It's like, nope, you're going to work out at this time, which means you better get all this day job stuff done and you got to pick up read from daycare at this time. So it's just like this waterfall of discipline. And I love Jocko Willing's whole thing of like discipline equals freedom because that's yeah. it's so true. It's yeah. like, man, like I never feel more free and happy than whenever I have had a long week of just like where I've just executed all this stuff when, that I had in win, place. Win, 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 and check, 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 instead check, of check. Like, instead of those days where it's like I kind of wake up and I'm like, I guess I need to update my CRM for work and I guess I'll do an expense report and then I start blindly answering emails and, and I skip a workout with you guys that's at 11 because I need to do this stuff. And I look up at two and I've just been sitting at my computer all day and I'm like, son of a bitch. Mm. Like that's the worst, mm -hmm. you know? I'd rather yeah. have I'd rather have 15 hours of stuff to get done in seven hours and, mm -hmm. and I will. Mm -hmm. Goes back to that word discipline. Yeah, yeah, dude. So it's all about just like, like for me, like my whole things this year are, it's a discipline, simplicity, right? I've told you that like, just like use that visualization to picture yourself executing what you're going to execute, right? Like if I'd use that at exercise, I would have started real estate a year before I did because I wouldn't have been messing around looking at apartments on LoopNet. Mm -hmm. I would have bought my first couple duplexes a year before. And so like if you're somebody who like from a financial standpoint, which is why I'm here today, you're like, okay, well, I'm going to start building a nest egg. Is like for me, it's either you either invest in real estate or you invest elsewhere. Like you got to visualize like, am I, am I really going to buy a rental house or is that like just terrifying to me? Maybe it is terrifying, but I still want to do it. What's my next step? Well, let's leverage my tribe, right? Let me see who all I network with that's also interested in this. Maybe we'll partner on one. Mm -hmm. Maybe we'll go to a networking group. Maybe real estate's totally out of the question. I should open a stockpile account tomorrow and play with that compound interest uh, calculator, yeah. right? Like just baby steps and execute. And then all of a sudden you look up three years later and you're like a wizard on some of this stuff and, you've, mm -hmm. and, it, and your brain changes just like owning a business. Mm -hmm. You look at the stuff, you see it differently. Yeah. You see your path. Well, dude... We can't stay in here forever, but I do want to run this by you guys. Me and Juan have kind of talked about it a little bit um, <clears throat> from the agricultural standpoint because there's money to be made there as well. Um, and food, right? That's what we want to do. We want to feed the world. But again, like we said earlier, there, that comes at a cost. And somehow that's going to have to trickle down somewhere. And it, if it makes sense, then if the numbers are right, it makes sense. Everybody wins. Um <clears throat> You know, you can go out, farmers do this, ranchers do this quite often. Uh, I've got maybe uh, this idea that I'm going to create this big vegetable farm, right? Instead of me buying that land, I go out and lease it for pennies on the dollar, right? And what we found out through Colin, our buddy that's uh, in the ag, uh, leasing property is actually pretty fucking cheap. Like, like really cheap. That's why I use the phrase pennies on the dollar. Um, uh... Ranchers, right? Most, I don't say most, there's a lot of ranchers out there that they don't own the land that their cows walk on. Right. Right. Um, there's a guy out west, I've referenced him before, haven't met him yet, can't wait to shake his hand. His name's Travis Krause, and he owns a farm out west of Castroville near, is it Dehanis? I think it's Dehanis, out there in the country. And Castroville is a little town outside of San Antonio, for those who don't know, um, on the west side. Uh, this guy has created on his property. I don't know. Does he own that property? Yes, his family owns it. Okay. He has taken like his organic matter numbers in his soil from like very, very little, say one or 2% or something like that to like eight or 9% in a matter of a decade. 
Um, and for most people, a decade is a fucking long time. But in that world, to do that amount of, to create that kind of turnover in that amount of time is, from everybody I'm talking to, is like, damn, dude, that's incredible. Okay? So now me and Juan are talking about this, um, we're scaling up this little soil operation thing that we're trying to do, just a little side, I don't want to say it's more of a hobby. It's more than a hobby. It's, 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 it's a way of life. It's a way of life, right? Because this is where we, we're, we want our food to come from good soil. But we also want to share this with everybody, so we need more land to do it on, okay? Um, so we're considering leasing property where we would come in and pay the property owner a certain amount of money for X amount of years, okay? But here's my thing. Tell me if I'm just fishing here or if, or, if, or if there may be something to this. With our practices, we start mimicking things like what Travis is doing out west. Dude, I'm doing you a service by being on your property. Oh, I was already going to tell you. You it, see where I'm going with that? You'll probably be able to find somebody to do it for free because if you can find, like, like in, in the world that I think of with mailers, like let's say, let's say you picked a county where you like – in general, you like the soil out there. You could literally run a queue of 10 acre properties that don't have an ag exemption and mm -hmm. you could mail them and say, Hey, I want to come farm on your land so you can have an ag exemption. And that's it. You send, and then just see what they say. You get calls back. Right. But I know of a lot of people, you know, growing up in West Texas, like, I mean, that's very normal to let people run cattle or whatever on your land, you know, for pennies on the do dollar or even free because mm -hmm. Dude, you're talking pieces of land that go from being assessed at half a million dollars to like seven thousand dollars and stuff oh, when you have these yeah. ag exemptions. I'm just making up those numbers, but it's no, drastic. It is drastic, yeah. And so it's like, yeah, if I have land, what if I inherited that land and I don't want to sell it, but I don't want to go out there, but I'm getting this tax bill all the time. Yeah. Somebody like you calls me and like, hey, I want to go farm it. I'm like, oh, you're gonna make the land better? Oh, like, sure, you're gonna lower my tax bill by eighty yeah. percent. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, you got to figure out the water thing, but... For sure. Yeah. I don't... I mean, I guess they do that anyways. Whenever they're running cattle, they need water too. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, what we're also finding out, and not to get off on this because we do got to get moving, but, um, man, we're finding that there's so many grants out there for farmers. It's incredible. And now we've linked up with these arm-to-farm people. And, dude, there's, like, grants that'll pay for punching a hole in the ground for water wells and stuff like that. I mean, yeah. it's like doesn't even if you if you get approved for the grant, there's potential that you don't even pay for it. You know what I mean? Anything. So or even if it was a huge chunk of it was paid for, you know, that's that's huge. You know, so I think, um, you know, knowing you, Scriven, uh, it's they say, you know, have a close circle of of uh, positive and people that are are always trying to excel themselves. And just especially the people that we have in here to build that tribe. Um, it's super awesome to fucking see you all the time, dude. Mm -hmm. Especially in the light of this Kobe Bryant thing. Uh, this podcast will be already uh, recorded, but it's still super new to us, and it's still important for me to tell you guys, and especially you since you're our guest for today. Um, I love you. Yeah. I love, I, you know, yeah. I love all you guys. Love if you guys. People yeah. out there, uh, love is definitely the message. Uh, love is also maybe a way to release those shackles if, if for some reason you're missing that mm -hmm. and uh, take care of the, the children yeah, and the family. and It puts it in perspective, right? Like don't, if you, if you have anything you're holding on to from anybody, just let it go because it's, 
It's like I, so. So for anyone listening, the this is the twenty seventh of January. That the Kobe Bryant accident, the helicopter crash, was yesterday, the twenty sixth. Yeah. And um, it's it's funny you bring that up because like I found myself last night like I uh, I usually go read books to my son and since we have a two week old right now like I like I kind of it's like yeah it's like an auction man I get up there I'm like and eh, page two three four five okay good night later <laughs> and like I found myself just like hanging out with him for like ever we read books yeah. for like thirty minutes and like he's in a big phase where he just always tells me that I'm his best friend and like it's like That's man that up. just puts it in dude Tiffany came home dude, Tiffany so. came home yesterday man and like. It's like I heard her drive up or something. Something pulled me outside at right the right time. She had just pulled Harper Ray out of out of the uh, out of the car. She's still in the car seat. I didn't even let him get in the house, dude. I was yeah. ripping her out of the car seat, dude. Held onto <laughs> her real tight, you know. And, that, and I've never met Kobe Bryant a day in my life, man. But this thing really kind of fucked me up for some reason. I think man. it did for everybody, just because he's, you know, I mean, a he's an icon, but b like he was. Everything about him lately was about his academy and his his daughter mm-hmm. in basketball and like, you know, you had this tragic accident where somebody that's larger than life gets taken out at the snap of fingers. That makes you realize like, you know, sometimes people like us naively just assume we're gonna be around till mm-hmm. we're a hundred years old, but there is I mean that that is the biggest proof that there's no guarantees if somebody like that can just get Yeah, you know be disappeared so rest easy mamba rest easy yeah absolutely well thanks for coming in man this has been awesome yeah thank y'all for having me i mean this is really cool this is my first ever podcast and and this facility at green records is amazing i like you know i'm hoping for me with the way that i set goals i'm hoping to do many more podcasts as i as i grow um, but I don't, you know, this is probably like the coolest, most professional setting I'll ever get to do. Um, <laughs> this place is sick. And, and for anybody listening that wants to find me, I, I do have a social media account. It's um, on Instagram. It's at grassroots underscore wealth. And that name has meaning. And it's basically like you guys heard me talking today that I'm I'm still very much in the beginning of this. I've, I've only been investing like two or three years. Um, so the whole point of my account is not to be a guru. I'm not trying to monetize it or anything like that. It's literally just me sharing my thoughts. Um, I share how I break down my deals. I'll put videos up that actually show me with Excel open analyzing deals. I'll, I'll give like my unsolicited advice. Um, just, just everything. It's, it's kind of all over the place. It's very subtle. I don't post, I'm not like all in your face posting a whole lot. Probably should post a little bit more, but um, it, it's, it's for people that want to learn, um, or just engage in conversation about any form of investing from a beginner level. That's mm-hmm. it. So you can find me on Instagram at, uh, grassroots underscore wealth. Um, or I have a website, haifsproperties.com. And my last name is H O E F S haifs properties. Cool. So. Cool. Well, we definitely appreciate it, man. Yeah. Thank y'all for having me. It was Thanks awesome. A lot, man. Appreciate it. Okay.